Well, good morning, Redeemer Church. It's great to see everyone this morning. I'm so excited about our series that we're in, The Triumphant Power of Gospel Love. Last week we opened up by saying that if you have um, gospel doctrine, but you don't have a gospel culture, then what you have is, does anybody remember? Hypocrisy. That's right, hypocrisy. But then we said if you have a gospel culture, but you don't have gospel doctrine, then what do you have? fragility. We're fragile. But when you've got gospel doctrine and you've got a gospel culture, what do you have? Power. You have power. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for power this morning. And so I want to begin by telling you that when I was a kid, I loved to swim. I loved it. And when I say I love to swim, I'm not saying I love to be around the pool and, and just kind of jump in and jump out and play games around the pool and get wet. I literally love swimming. And I would uh, go down to, lived in Childersburg and lived on Indian Hills Circle, and the street behind us was Indian Hills Drive, and we had a pool that had been made back in the early 1950s, and we called it the Cement Pond. The reason we call it the cement pond is because it was cement and it was like a pond, okay? It's not like the pools that we have today. But we would go down to the cement pond and swim all the time in this neighborhood pool. Mom would have to drag us home. But for me, I love swimming underwater. And I would be like this little Jacques Cousteau. If you guys remember watching that show, um, I guess back in the early 80s, late 70s, and I would explore underwater. And as I was a kid, I would go down and swim and be underwater, and I knew exactly how long it took me to swim underwater from one end to the other. I knew all the rungs on every ladder that, were, that was in the pool. I, I knew the details of the drain at the very bottom of the pool. And I just, I explore, I even knew that at what point down the slope to the deep end that my nose would go underwater so that I wouldn't breathe. I mean, I was just very familiar with the cement pond. And this is my point, is that after a number of years swimming, um, the cement pond got a little old. And I remember my dad took me and my brother Scott to Montgomery on a business trip, and we stayed at the Holiday Inn. It was called the Holodome, if you guys can remember that, that hotel in, in Montgomery. But they had a pool that was both inside and outside. And there was a connector so that you could swim from the pool on the inside to the pool on the outside. And I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And so I was just like, man, more discovery and swimming. And my brother and I played games and we hardly got out of the pool that weekend. And then, and then my mom and dad took us to a resort that used to be called Alpine Bay. If you've ever been to Alpine Bay, Joey, you're nodding your head. Do you remember the pool at Alpine Bay? It's unbelievable. It had this, like, this rock that uh, was in the center of it, and you could swim around it, and it was really big. And I just thought I'd gone to, you know, swim in heaven or something, go into uh, that, that pool. And uh, it was very, very cool and really enjoyed it. And I want you to make the connection with me here. This, this, is, this is what I, I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that we view the love of God, like the cement pond. That we jump into it, we get saved, we experience His grace, 
We're like, man, this is so good. I'm forgiven of my sins. Uh, God loves me in Christ. And the more we swim in the pool of God's love, the more it just gets kind of old. You just get used to it. And so what do you want to do? I'm going to go find other pools to swim in. And this is what I want to tell you, church. That the love of God is nothing like the cement pond. If the love of God is like a body of water, it is like a never-ending ocean. It is so far to the east and to the west that it actually has no parameters. You could not swim from one end to the other because it is infinite in its size. You cannot plumb the depths of it. You cannot explore the different recesses and deep recesses of it because it is, it is unattainable. And if it is like a body of water, it has the most beautiful, clear, blue water and treasures buried deep within it that are just awaiting to be discovered and waves that are waiting to be ridden and cliffs that you can jump off of and into it to enjoy the exhilaration. It has everything that you would ever want in it, but you can never discover all of it because the more you get into this water, the more you realize you're never even going to scratch the surface of how glorious it is. That is the nature of of the love of God. But in our minds and in our hearts, we kind of shrink the love of God into a very packageable, attainable concept. And then we get bored with it after a while. And God is saying, do not dare underestimate the power, the nature, the depth, the height, the width, and the breadth of my love for you. Because you're selling your life short and you're selling your future short. So my goal today is this, is for you to feel the love of God and to experience the love of God every day so you will not be tempted to want to swim in small little pools that are bound by time and space and matter. What I'm saying is, so you won't be tempted to trade the worship of God for the idolatry of other things because your experience of God is not filling enough. Your experience of God is not thorough enough or deep enough. And so this is what I want to do. I want to provide some doctrinal truth about the nature of God's love and practical instruction on how to put yourself uh, in a way to experience His love every day. Turn to the book of Ephesians. Turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 this morning. Now, keep in mind that this is my goal. My goal is, is to provide doctrinal truth about the nature of God's love and practical instruction and in how to put yourself in a position to experience God's love every day. In other words, I want you to go swimming every day. I want you to go swimming, and I want you to discover treasures and discover exhilarating power of God's love every single day of your life until Jesus reveals himself to you in flesh. I want you to do that, and in order to do that, I want to give you doctrinal truth and practical instruction to help make that happen. 
So we're going to read verses 14 through 21 in chapter 3 because that's Paul's prayer. That's his desire. And what, he, what has he said? He has said previous to this that we have access to God. That God has broken down the middle wall of separation. That it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or rich or poor. We all have access to God. And now we have a relationship with one another as we believe in Christ. And it is a glorious thing. And so he says, for this reason, in verse 14, for this reason, because we have access to God, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow. That is, that is an amazing prayer that the Apostle Paul gives to our Father. And I, I believe that what he's saying is, is he's saying that I'm praying that you'll know the immensity of Christ's love so that you can experience the fullness of God's character and you can demonstrate that in your relationships and in uh, your lives as worshipers. And so let's look at the big idea the big idea, I believe, from this passage is that we should strive to know the bigness of Christ's love so that we can be filled with the fullness of God's character. That would be the very summary form of what Paul's prayer is for us, that we should strive to know the bigness of Christ's love so that we can be filled with the fullness of God's character. And I, I will tell you that part of my, my sum, summation of being filled with the fullness of, of God's character is not only does he say that you'll be filled with the fullness of God, but for the next three chapters, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 6, what is that all about? It's all about us having the character of God and demonstrating that character to the, to the watching world. So let's strive to know the bigness of Christ's love so we can be filled with the fullness of God's character. And so the first thing that we're going to do is we're just going to make some observations about Paul's prayer that will help us have a heart of love. All right, so, so I've titled the message A Heart of Love, and the idea here is that we will have a heart full of God's love so that ultimately we'll have a culture of God's love. And so let's just make some observations about Paul's prayer that will help us develop a heart of love, and we want to see, first of all, the motive of his prayer Notice that he says in verse 14, for this reason. I kind of gave it away, but in, in chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, leading up to this passage, what, what is Paul saying? 
He's saying we, we have boldness and access with confidence to this Lord because we have, we have access in Him, these, these astounding realities of His love for us and in breaking down the middle wall of separation and drawing us completely to Himself and unveiling the mystery of His love. Remember, all throughout the Old Testament, people were awaiting to see what these promises of God were going to look like. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3 that, that there is a mystery. It was once concealed, but it's now revealed. And it's revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we don't have to guess anymore. We don't have to wonder anymore. We can look at the cross and we can see the mystery of God. We can see the revelation of the love of God. And so for this reason, he says, I bow my knees because we have access to this God who loves us in Christ. The second observation we want to make is the posture of his prayer. Do I have a child who wants to observe from verse 14 what the posture of Paul's prayer is? So we have anybody who wants to observe what is the posture of Paul's prayer? Gar? He's bowing, that's right. And what is he bowing, Abigail? His knees, his knees. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. What does bowing demonstrate? Church, what, what does bowing your knees demonstrate? Humility, reverence, honor. Oh, man, you guys nailed it. First three, humility, reverence, and honor. It's exactly what it demonstrates. There's, there's nothing nonchalant or cavalier about bowing. Think about that. There's nothing nonchalant or cavalier about bowing. Bowing is not a normal or necessarily comfortable position. And so to bow before the Father is to acknowledge the majesty of the Father, the greatness of the Father, the honor of the Father. You know what it also designates is desperation? Think about that. Think, think about that when a person wants something really, really bad and realizes that he's at the mercy of another in order to receive it, what will he do? He'll bow. He'll bow. And so I've read so much this week that posture in prayer doesn't really matter. It's really just the heart of things. And, and the fact is, church, I, I want to testify. I, I pray while I lay in the bed. I pray when I'm driving down the car. I'll pray when I'm sitting on the couch in a very relaxed posture. But I also want to tell you that posture does matter. It does matter. Not only does he say, I bow my knees to the Father, but when we had our prayer day this, this week, um, all across the, the, the city and, and the area, I read a text that said that, that Paul says that we should lift up our hands in prayer to the God who is in the heavens. Our posture does matter because in our posture, we are showing God that we are desperate for Him, that we honor Him, that we reverence Him, and that we respect Him. And so that's exactly what Paul does. He bows his knees before the Father. And so look at the direction of his prayer. This is the third observation. Who does he bow before? Somebody say it. The Father. The Father. 
Now, that's what we're going to focus on. The next phrase, frankly, is not the, the clearest phrase to completely understand in Scripture. From whom every family in, on, in heaven and on earth is named. I believe that essentially what that's saying is that God is creator and he's created every person who lives on the planet. And so every family and every person who has a name is ultimately rooted in the creative power of Almighty God, who we call Father. God is our spiritual father. And so we bow before him. Notice in this observation, church, that it does not say that I bow my knees before a distant, angry judge. I've been obviously studying and thinking a lot about prayer and praying Uh, leading up to May 4th, and one of the things that I came to realize as interacting with people and even praying with people is that some people don't know God as their Father. They can't just boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence that they know that their their Father hears them and loves them and wants to, to hear from them. They approach Him more like He's this distant far-off, isolated individual that if somehow they say the right words, it might be possible that he might hear them and he might be inclined to listen to them and do what they ask him to do. Church, when Paul goes and addresses his father, he knows that he is running into the arms of someone who not only loves him infinitely, but has infinite power to alter the course of his life because his love is that great for him. So when you and I go to the Lord, let's go to him as our Father who loves us and cares for us and we know he's got the power to change our lives and our circumstances and our situations. The direction of his prayer is is the Father. Let's observe forth the the substance of his prayer. This is really the meat right here. This is the meat of why we're even studying this passage today. The substance of his prayer. First of all, we want to observe that within the substance of his prayers that he's asking for the benefit of spiritual strength. Look, he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And he's just saying, I want you to have spiritual strength. I want you to know the power of God. I want you to, inside your heart, know that the Holy Spirit is there and that he's working and that he's abiding and that he's living and that he wants to be enacted to move on your behalf. I think it's the MacArthur Study Bible that says that spiritual power is a mark of every Christian who submits to God's Word and God's Spirit. I love that. Spiritual power is a mark of every Christian who submits to God's Word and God's Spirit. So, man, if you want power, if you want the power that that Paul is praying for, what you have to do is say, I'm going to yield myself to this word and I'm going to yield to myself to the spirit who is dwelling in me so that the spirit who's dwelling in me will enact the word that is working right here and I will have and possess and demonstrate the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead on the third day. That's power. That's what he's praying for. And he says, I want to pray for the blessing of, of Christ dwelling. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through 
faith. You're like, wait a minute. I thought that Christ already was dwelling in our hearts. Why are you praying that he would dwell in our hearts? Yes, Christ does dwell in our hearts through faith. But what he is saying is that he's saying, I want Christ to be the very center of your heart so that he is at home there. He's at home. And you know he's at home. And he's guiding you every day, every moment. You know, I keep these journals, and I've showed you guys these many times, but I just wanted to show you the outside of my journal today because on the front of every one of my journals, I, I just uh, draw a heart, and on the inside of that heart, I, I draw a cross. And the reason I do that is because I keep my journal in my Bible. And when I open it up to study the Bible and make notes, my chief aim is that in reading the Bible and having faith through the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ will be at home in my heart, that he will be the centerpiece of my heart, that he won't be the peripheral, he won't be all the, kind of a subset or subpart of my heart, but he will be enthroned on my heart so that he will not only be at home, but he will have power to act in every one of my circumstances, situations, and relationships. And so Paul says, I pray that you'll have Christ dwelling in you and he'll be at home in you. And then look, church, keep looking at the text because he says, I pray that you'll have the knowledge of Christ's love. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, that is to understand, to feel experientially with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That word rooted right there is a farming term. And then the word grounded is a construction term. And what is he saying? He said, I want you to be solidly implanted in the love of God. I want you to be immovable in the love of God. I want you to be indestructible in the love of God. I want you, I want you to be so fixed in the love of God, it, Satan and all his demons can come at you and you will not be moved because you are grounded in him. That's his desire. And so what is interesting is that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. And yet, what is he praying that we will know? The love of Christ. And so church, I want us to just pause right here for a moment. And I want us to meditate on the love of Christ. Because I know that God wants us to know his love because Paul has been sharing it in Ephesians this entire time. And so, Daniel, if you want to put up on the screen some of the aspects of the love of Christ, this is just a meditation of the love of Christ for us as I've seen it in the book of Ephesians. But church, if we ask the question, what is the nature of the love of God, the love of Christ for us? His love is a selfless love. Jesus sets as his highest priority, not his comfort, not his safety, not his rest, not his peace, but rather he lays aside his rights, he lays aside his privileges, he lays aside his dignity, and he gives us his life. His love is a selfless love. 
We've studied it in the book of Philippians where he just said, you know what, I'm just going to lay aside all the privileges and rights of my glory and I'm going to come and I'm going to have the most humiliating birth and I'm going to live the most humiliating life and I'm going to die the most humiliating death on behalf of these people whom I love so that they can know the selflessness of it. Church, Christ's love for us is a selfless love. It's also a substitutionary love. Jesus inserted himself into human life and took on himself the sin that was our fault. He made our sin his responsibility. Like, Justin, Jesus made your sin his responsibility. Carl, he made your sin his responsibility. Now, when we're talking about fair and just and right, Carl, whose sin, or your sin is whose responsibility? It's yours, isn't it? But Christ made it his responsibility. Why? Because he says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to substitute myself for Carl Henson. I'm going to come in his place. That's a lot of love. Amen. Amen. And so he, he took our punishment and put it on himself. It's a substitutionary love and it's a saving love. It's a saving love. Jesus rescues us from the pollution of our sin and the power of our sin and the penalty of our sin. And and, and He doesn't just put us on level playing ground. He carries us all the way over to Himself and He gives us the purity of His righteousness and the power of His resurrection and the promise of His presence forever and ever and ever. And He says, I'm not just going to be a rescuer. I'm also going to be a deliverer and you're going to experience the fullness of all that I am and all that I have because I love you that much. It's a saving love. Now I just want to pause right here and say, If you have not been rescued from your sin and you have not been delivered all the way over to Jesus Christ, you have that opportunity today if you will just believe in Him, if you will trust in Him, if you will say, I want to exchange my life for His life and I want to exchange my form of righteousness for His righteousness, you can know His saving love. It's a saving love. It's a sanctifying love. Jesus loves us in a way that makes us holy in our position with God and in our practice before God. Jesus always seeks to make us more and more like Him in character, in righteousness, in love. Church, just, if you don't mind, close your eyes right now and think about this. Jesus is always patient with you and never impatient. He's always gracious toward you and never vengeful. He's always compassionate toward you, never punishing you. And even though you sin a lot, He is not sick of you. He is not done with you and He is not overwhelmed by you. He bears up with you. He mediates for you. He exercises grace toward you and He sanctifies you not just positionally but practically through His love. That's your Savior. You can open your eyes now. It's a sanctifying love. It's a Spirit-filled love. Jesus doesn't just buy, buy a Hallmark card. Oh, um, I told, I said this yesterday to a group of men, and, and Anthony was there. Anthony, I wanted to say thank you for, for uh, being 
uh, at the men's breakfast yesterday morning up at, up at Saks. You know, the way I interpreted that is that is a demonstration of a culture of love when you've got a brother whom you know at another place and you go to be with that brother in another place and uh, just, just to give support. It's a demonstration of gospel love, so thank you for being there. But this is what I said. Jesus doesn't just buy a Hallmark card and write on it, I love you, and drop it in the mail to us. I mean, cards are great. And I've saved pretty much any card I've got in my whole adult life, and I've got it in a big, huge box because I like cards. But Jesus doesn't just send us a card and say, I love you. He says, I love you, and he sends us his very spirit and implants his spirit inside of us to live inside of us, to indwell us, and to help us along the way. It's a spirit-filled love. Like, church, I believe that this is the desire of the Apostle Paul in his prayer is that every Christian will know that the Spirit of Christ is living in you and is testifying to you every day, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's a Spirit-filled love. It's a selecting love. It's a selecting love. We read in chapter 1 about the Father's selection and His choosing. Jesus didn't wait around to see how many sinners would initiate a love relationship with Him. He didn't sit on His hands. He knew no sinner would choose Him. And in His great love for us, the Father chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He didn't didn't wait around. Listen, we didn't choose Him, He chose us. We didn't mark Him out, He marked us out. I can't understand it fully. I can't even explain it clearly, but this is what I know. I believe it wholeheartedly, and I celebrate it absolutely. Because if He chose me, He will not let me go. If He selected me, He will not discard me. If He marked me out, He will not cast me out. If He predestined me for His glory, He will not revoke my inheritance. My ticket has been punched. My seat has been secured. My destination is the kingdom of God. And it has nothing to do with how good I've been or how religious I've been or how holy I've acted or how perfectly I've obeyed. It has everything to do with the fact that the God of heaven and earth has set His love on me from before the foundation of the world and there's nothing that anybody in this world can do about it. It's a selecting love. It's a supernatural love. In chapter 3, we realize that that Jesus has loved us, He's saved us, He's placed us into one body. And we now know each other and love each other and care for each other and bless each other and make sacrifices for each other. Think about this. That before Christ came, and lived the life that he lived, and died the death that he died, and the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, do you think that there was a person on earth or an angel in heaven that would ever believe that Gentiles and Jews would ever worship together? But Jews and Gentiles start worshiping together, 
2,000 years later, blacks and whites start worshiping together. Rich and poor start worshiping together. The barriers have been put off. God's love is so amazing. It is supernatural in its nature. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain? For me who Him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace, emptied Himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus, and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne, and claim the crown through Christ my own. Bold I approach the eternal throne, and claim the crown through Christ my own. Those are the words of and can it be. And that is a description of the supernatural, awesome love of our God in Jesus Christ. It's a strengthening love. The love of God makes us stronger, not weaker. It makes us better, not worse. It makes us deeper, not more shallow. It solidifies us. It grounds us. It gives us a root system that is indestructible. Listen, when I know God loves me, I can love my enemy and pray for him. When I know God loves me, I can walk into a job on Monday morning that I don't really like and I can work for the glory of God because I am rooted in His love. When I know that God loves me, I can love somebody that is hard to love because I know that I have the sustaining, strengthening, powerful love of God working in me and all that my love for this hard-to-love person is is an overflow of the love that exists in me through the Holy Spirit. It's a strengthening love. It's a sustaining love. It's a sustaining love. You know, Jesus doesn't just love us and say, hey, I love you guys. I'm going to leave you to fend for yourselves. No. In chapter 6 of Ephesians, he says, Be strong in the strength of His might. And then he says, Put on the... Does anybody know what he says put on? The armor of God. That's God's armor. The armor that God supplies. He says, Here you go. Take that helmet of salvation. Take that breastplate of righteousness. Take that belt of truth and the shoes of the gospel of readiness. Take the the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and take that wartime walkie-talkie that is called prayer, and you go into battle, and you know that when you go into battle, you have everything that you need to be sustained in the midst of a battle against the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil himself. It's a sustaining love. And church, it's a, it's a spreading love. It's a spreading love. You know, in Ephesians 4, let me just, list, let me just read to you a, what a, a passage in Ephesians 4 says. Paul says, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. Into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the point, is that Christ is the head and the church is Christ's body. And as you delve into and dive into the love of Christ for you, He strengthens you. And He allows you and He affords you the opportunity to love everyone else in that body so that they are blessed and you are blessed and it's all working together as one. You know, I, I was thinking about this last night and I just realized that I am a very loved individual. And it's because people who are in the body of Christ, who are connected to the head, who feel the love of Christ, that strengthening, sustaining, saving, sanctifying, powerful love, then exude that love. I, I remember when I had my car wreck in 2015, and so many of you expressed your love for me and made visits and sent cards and phone calls and text messages, and I received the love of God from Christ's people. And then last year when I was really sick and having all those bouts of, of, uh, of difficult stomach issues, and I received the love from my wife and my kids and my church family in a way that people were preaching for me and teaching for me and caring for me and helping me. And even this, this Thursday when we had our day of prayer, I looked out in the morning and at noontime, and in the evening, and we had, I think we've got 33 families in this church, and we had 12 to 13 families that were spread out throughout those days, praying and serving and coming alongside me because I was leading that. That's love. It's, it's the love of Christ that is connected to you, and you are able to demonstrate that love in this body. That, that's how this thing works. I can't help but just notice that uh, Mayor Kraft is back here, sitting in the very back. And Mayor, I just want to thank you for the privilege and the honor to work with you for the, for the day of prayer. It was, a, it was a great event. Yes, sir. So it's a spreading, it's a spreading love. Now, I, I just want us to see what, what is the nature of the love of Christ for us. His love is all these things. And church, notice, they, that's just one letter, S. I mean, we could go through the alphabet, not all the way A to Z, and we could just be here forever talking about His love because it is that good and it is that great. And, and so let's go back to the passage because He says, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love so that you can comprehend what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know it and how it surpasses knowledge. And all we're saying is, is through this is that we are scratching the surface, and in scratching the surface, we are so blessed to have a God who loves us in Jesus Christ. And we see He wants us to have the fullness of God's character. He says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And how do we do that? By knowing the love of Christ. Okay, let's make the final two observations. We see the confidence of his prayer. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Man, why does Paul have confidence that his prayers can be answered? 
Because God's power in us is unrivaled. It's unlimited. It's incomprehensible. That is the power of God abiding in us through His Spirit. And so, church, I want to just convey this to you. When we pray, let's pray with great confidence. Let's pray with great amount of belief that God is going to do what we ask Him to do because He controls the heavens and the earth. And He controls everything that exists. There is no maverick molecule in the universe. And so He controls it. Let's believe it. Let's trust Him the way Paul did. And let's look at the goal of His prayer. Now check this, church. Right there at the very end of our passage, the goal of His prayer to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now the goal of the prayer is the glory of God. And I want to ask you, where is the glory of God going to be demonstrated according to His request? In the what? Church! In the church and in Christ, you, you ask the question, why is church so important? Why, do we, why are we so big on church? Because the church is the manifestation and the demonstration of the glory of God. And if there is no church, there is no manifestation of the glory of God in our world today. And that's why we press into the church, not isolate ourselves from it. That's why we press into relationships, not stay in our homes by ourselves. That's why we press in, because the church is the demonstration of the glory and love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the goal of his prayer. By the way, there has been somebody who has been at home for like, what, eight or nine weeks, Carolyn? What was it? I, how many weeks was it? Ten weeks. Yeah, I called her on week two, and I, I said, uh, Carolyn, I love you, and we're praying for you. And she said, I'll, be, I'll come back when I'm ready to come back. And you thought it was probably going to be like three weeks or four, not ten, didn't you? And so we're glad to have you. Yes, right, you'll see me when you see me. That's right. Well, we're glad to see you this morning. Yeah, we're glad to see you. Okay, so this is, the, this is the last part of the message today, church. But I want us to ask the question, how do you put yourself in the best possible situation to experience the love of Christ? How do you put yourself in the best possible place to experience the love of Christ regularly? Because that, that's the deal. If we don't put ourselves in the best possible place to experience the love of Christ, we're going to think that the love of Christ is the cement pond. It's not the cement pond. All right. So number one, I'm going to give you four ways right here. If you're taking notes, please take these down. Number one, prioritize your personal relationship with the God who loves you. Now, if you wanted to shorten that and just say prioritize your relationship with God, you can do that. But I put that modifier on there because you need to understand that this message is about His love for you. And so you want to prioritize your relationship with God because He loves you. So prioritize it. And so so how do you do that? Like, there's nobody, I don't believe there's anybody in this building who would say, I don't think that's a very good idea. No, I mean, I think everybody believes that's a good idea. The question is, is, is how do you really prioritize? And I just, man, I just jotted down some ways. Time. 
set apart time to be with the God of love. Let me ask you a question right now. Do you have a time that you've set apart to be with the God of love? I'm going to tell you, if you haven't set apart time to be with the God of love, then you're going to think his love is the cement pond and not this vast ocean of treasures that are waiting to be discovered. Space. Set apart a space, a place to be with the God of love. It might be your back porch. It might be your living room chair. It might be your bedroom. It may be in your car 20 minutes in the parking lot prior to you going into your job every day, but set apart a place for you to be with the God of love. Tools. Set apart some tools that you need. Every good worker's got some tools, and every good worshiper has some tools. And so get yourself a good Bible and a good journal and a good pen and get you a, a study Bible or some other way to help you study the Word. Get you some tools that you need in order to spend time with the God of love. Privacy. Set apart your, yourself to be with the God of love. Focus. Set apart your mind to be with the God of love. Like, there are times, and Jamie knows this too, that I cut my phone off. And I'll leave it off for three hours. And I just won't even look at it. And all I'm doing is studying and reading and praying. And I'll tell her, I'll say, Jamie, I'm at Redeemer from 9 to noon. I'm going to have my phone off. If there's something that happens, you'll know where I am. The fact is, is we are too accessible in this world. And when we are too accessible, then God is not accessible enough to us because we're going to be distracted constantly by this thing. And so, sometimes leave your phone behind and make a plan to get to know the God of love better. So prioritize your personal relationship with God who loves you. Second, listen to the voice of the God who loves you. Listen to the voice of the God who loves you. And instead of me kind of reading off the ways in which you can listen to the voice of the God who loves you, church, why don't y'all help me out with this one? How can you listen to the God who loves you regularly? Read His Word. Listen to the preached Word. There are all kinds of nuances to hear the voice of God. Meditate on the Word. You know, when we read the Word, we should really do two things. We should read for breadth. Like we we read through the Bible and chunks of the Bible. And we also should read for what? For depth. And so we want to study and meditate on passages of Scripture because we're really listening to the nuanced nature of the voice of God when when we study His Word and when we meditate on it. So we want to read the Bible. We want to listen to the preached Bible. We want to listen to gospel music. We join a group Bible study. Memorize gospel verses and important sections. Like, let's don't lose our focus here, church. Is there anybody here who has memorized a gospel verse that helps you be rooted and grounded in the love of God for you. If there's anybody who's done that and can recite it for us, I'd love for you to do so. And this is in no way to be braggadocious. It's to actually give a demonstration and a testimony of how powerful it is. Can anybody do that? Can anybody do that? 
D.C., why don't you tell us a verse that you have memorized and how it's ministered the love of God to you? That's right. It roots you, doesn't it? It grounds you in who he is and what he does for you. That's super. That's excellent. It's, um, it will get one or more testimonies of how that can work. Misty. Mm. Amen. That's so good. Let's get one more. Let's get one more gospel verse that we remember that the love of God just is really inserted into our situation because he's speaking to us through his word. Anyone? Yes, Melissa. Yes, and so even like in Misty's testimony and in Melissa's is that if you don't have that knowledge and you haven't let the Lord speak to you in that moment, both of you are going to not only be tempted to have anxiety, tempted to have fear, you're probably going to be more likely to give into it. But when you're rooted and grounded in the purposes of God and the love of God, you can stand firm, you can believe His promises, you can trust Him, and you can walk in confidence. Those are excellent ways. So we want to listen to the voice of the God who loves us, and we can do that in a variety of different ways. Third, approach the throne of the God who loves you. So you're going to listen to the voice of the God who loves you, and you're going to approach the throne of the God who loves you. And what am I talking about here? Prayer. Talking about prayer. You realize that God, God not only gives us His Word, but He also gives us His ear. He gives us His ear. And it's an act of His love. He says, not only do I want to talk to you, but I also want to listen to you. I don't want you to just hear my voice. I want to hear your voice. And I'm going to revel in it every time, do you, every time you come to me. And so church, I just want to tell you, pray by yourself, pray with your family, pray with your friends, pray in the morning, pray throughout the day, pray in the evening. Man, pray, 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 because when you're praying, you are talking to the God who loves you and wants to fill you with more and more and more and more of His love. I will tell you, at Thursday's prayer day around 9, this, uh, this man named Eduardo came to the to the city hall. Lauren, it was after you and I had just uh, finished praying with a couple of others. And he said, I just came to, I just came to, uh, to get engaged with this, I think is what he said. Well, I said, well, let's go over here to the prayer wall. 
Mary. Um, well, let's go to the prayer wall and let's pull some of these prayer requests off. And so he did and I did. And we went over and sat down. And he and I had never met. To my knowledge, never seen one another. And we sat down together and we prayed for a couple of different leaders in the nation that they would have wise decision making and they would exercise God's righteousness. And then we said, Amen. And Eduardo conveyed to me after that that he was about to go to work and was afraid that he was going to receive some bad news about layoffs and cuts and all of this. And he, he had some anxiety about it. And I said, well, let me just pray with you, brother. And so we prayed a little longer, and we prayed for him and his family and his co-workers and that company, and we pled for grace, and we pled for mercy, and we pled for God's love to be deep and rich, and he left, and he went to work. And he came back three hours later and looked me up at the noontime prayer time, and he said, God heard our prayers. My job is secure. I'm telling you, the Lord loves to hear the voice of his children. Let's bend his ear. Let's bend his ear. The final thing I want to tell you is be with the family of the God who loves you. Be with the family of the God who loves you. Hebrews 10 says, Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. The reason I quote that verse is because he says, stir one another to love, to love. And so we do this through corporate worship and the ordinances and hospitality and discipleship and mission as we come together as the people of God. And we all have the Spirit of God who is pouring out in our hearts the very love of Christ. We are now going to be able to demonstrate love to one another that we would not ordinarily be able to demonstrate. And we'll be able to feel the love of one another, which is the love of Christ, in a way that we never could outside of the church. And so as we gather together, for corporate worship and Wednesday nights at Chocolaca Park and Wednesday night Bible study and Monday night ladies study and one-on-one discipleship time, what we're doing is cultivating a, a community of the love of God whereby the body of Christ can care for one another in a way that is exploring the oceans of God's love. Okay. I want to I just make this statement. A life of love is lived out of an astonished heart. A life of love is lived from an astonished heart. What do I mean by that? The more you are astonished by the love of God, the strengthening, saving, sanctifying, spirit-filled powerful love of God, the more you're mesmerized by it, the more you're going to be able to do what toward other people? Love them. Love them. But you start shrinking your astonishment. You stop listening to that voice. You stop bending His ear. You stop set aside, setting aside time to be with Him and focusing on Him. Then that thing's going to shrink down to the cement pond and the, the little bit of love that you have to offer is nothing but leftovers of what you found out about God 10 years ago. Let's don't go there. 
Let's swim in the ocean of the love of God so that we can pour out fresh experiences and demonstration of the mighty love of God through the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's sing a song and then we're going to celebrate communion.